0: tangent. To break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's
1: And welcome to episode number six of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is a show where we're going to be taking a look at the line of books that DC published in 1997 and 1998 that took the names of established, well-known characters and gave them new, and more often than not, radically different origins and tales. And in this episode, we're going to take a look at someone who, in regular DC continuity, was not only one of the most well-known villains, but one of the few villains to get his own comic book title. But as previously stated, all that gets chucked out the window in the Tangent Universe as the clown prince of crime, the Joker, becomes the female force for good in this iteration. But before we get to coverage of the book, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm Sean Engle, and please allow me to introduce a man of wealth and taste, my esteemed co-host, Michael Bradley.
0: Pleased to meet you. <laughs> Why don't you guess my name?
1: <laughs> uh, let's talk about JFK and all that. <laughs> Um, yeah, thanks for coming back to the. Well, not you, Michael. You're going to be here anyway. But thanks everyone for downloading the show again. I hope you enjoyed the last episode where we talked about the Sea Devils. You know, as as we kind of commented, it wasn't our favorite book, but it was you know a decent book. But I think we're going to have a lot more to say about the the Joker book. I mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. So you want to go ahead and
0: just get into emails and.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. We've okay. got a couple of emails from you wonderful listeners, so uh, Michael's going to start off with it.
0: Right. First up is another email from Gene Hendricks. This one is about episode uh, four? Three. Yes. Episode three, the Green Lantern Episode, And he wrote, Gents, first off, thanks for making the beginning Parallel Lines, a Gene Hendrix podcast. It's always nice to get plugs for my shows. On to Green Lantern. This title reminds me of the old House of titles you suggested, but also The Phantom Stranger, since she somewhat interacts with the subjects of the story. Yes, she has more characterization, but she is still more of a storyteller than anything else. These stories are all really good with connecting the dots, and I can see where this would be used to fill in the backstories of heroes and other characters if this was an ongoing universe. I was more familiar with Green Lantern than any other Tangent characters, since she was the reason for the Tangent-slash-JLA crossover, but I seem to remember that she opened dimensional doorways rather than speaking to the dead. It's been a few years, though, so my memory might be off. Keep up the good work, guys. Gene. And thank you very much, Gene, for another email.
1: Yeah, I, I I definitely see a, you know, as we commented in the Green Lantern episode, that there was a definite House of Mysteries, House of Secrets to the to the feel to the story. Right. I never really put together the Phantom Stranger because, unfortunately, I didn't really read all that much Phantom Stranger stuff. Uh, you know, I think Tom Panarese, uh, when he was talking on his show, I think it was a pop cult. No, it was a, it was a Taking Flight where he was reading to his son about one of the Tiny Titans type books, and he said the Phantom Stranger came in, and I uh, basically, you know, his son asked, "What's the Phantom Stranger doing?" He says, "Oh, well, he's just the guy who comes in and tells the people bad things <laughs> are going to happen, and then he goes away." Yeah. So that that's unfortunately how I viewed the Phantom Stranger. But if this is kind of like a, how the Phantom Stranger works in the DC universe, yeah, I could buy that.
0: Well, when the Phantom Stranger was introduced, that's that's what the character was. He he would. Uh be basically an introduction for the more anthology horror type stories. And then they started using the Phantom Stranger in his own stories and having, I hate to say having his own adventures because that sounds kind of silly but, you know, he had his own rogues gallery and an ongoing series and
1: such, so... Okay, uh, I know this was also mentioned, and Gene mentioned in the in the email that Green Lantern uh, was kind of the impetus for the tangent jla crossover. And I know you recently did a stint on uh, Charlie Niemeyer's uh, Superman and the Bronze Age story uh, uh, podcast,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where uh, he asked about the tangent universe and whether or not we were going to cover the uh, the the Superman's Reign storyline, which I think is what Gene may be referencing in the end of this email. Yes we uh to to be honest, I don't think we've specifically talked about it. Initially, we were just going to cover the the first and second runs of these comics, but there's a possibility for it. I, you yeah. know we don't have it set in stone, and it, it depends upon you know what the word of mouth about the stories are, and you know what our you know podcasting careers take us off to do? I mean, podcasting careers, yeah. <laughs> So what our what our podcasting interests take us to do, you know, it it could be something that we might be interested in covering.
0: Yeah, we're definitely the, the plan is to definitely cover the first eighteen uh, books from the first two runs, like like Sean said. But after that, it's kind of up in the air at this point. So yeah,
1: this isn't you know uh, although this is a sort of indexing show because the you know, series is. You know sadly kind of limited you know it doesn't mean it's going to be you know something that we're going to have to work for with like with from crisis to crisis or any right large show with that you know and which 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 makes it nice you know it it's not we're not having to cover you know 12 15 20 years worth of books you know these are only two little runs let out over two years so it it if it does strike us to do the rest of the stories you know we might do it so There you go. Send us feedback whether or not you'd like like us to do that. That'd be cool.
0: That'd be great. Now we have another email from Ben Avery, and the subject is Tangent Universe. And Ben writes, love the concept of this podcast and the limited focused scope. I find myself intrigued about the Tangent Universe and an intrigue that comes from listening to you guys. When I first saw these on the shelves when they came out, I thought it was an interesting concept. But hearing you guys explore the connections, I'm actually most interested. I'm actually almost interested enough to track these down. Just not sure how I can make time to read them with all my other comic book reading. And, Ben, I completely understand. Mm-hmm. I love what-if type books and else worlds and alternate universes, and this feels like it would hit a nice sweet spot in my comic book loves. I have a question. A few years after Tangent, DC did a series called Just Imagine Stan Lee's, or something similar. How does this compare? Those I actually bought... But it feels like a very similar conceit, in that he completely reimagined the characters, keeping only the name. Finally, you guys keep saying things like, "If they ever revisited," but I have vague memories hearing about a return to the tangent universe in some books or, or in some books or other. Do you know anything about this? And Ben, I, you know, we just talked about the the Superman's reign, and that's they they did go back and revisit the concept. Um, that series is a little different, though, in that it's it is a it is a crossover with the DC universe, so it's not exactly um, <sighs> it is a continuation of their story, but it, it's also a crossover. If that makes any sense,
1: mm-hmm. it's I, I I haven't read that, so I can't be give you some specifics on it. But from what I've heard, it probably would be more like the milestone DC crossover of worlds collide, mm. you know, where the two universes that are very disparate sort of intersect. Right. Um, it might be an interesting thing to look into and like I said, if you guys you know would like to hear us cover it after we do the initial two runs, you know maybe we could look into that. But um, going back to the question about the uh, Just Imagine Stan Lee where basically they got Stan Lee to come in and reimagine various characters from the DC universe. <laughs> I never really got that into it. Did you read any of that, Michael?
0: I read, I think there were 12 books, or maybe 10, or maybe 8. <laughs> I forget. Anyway, I read them all when they came out, and I would say the Tangent Universe books are better. Um, to be fair, I haven't read the Stan Lee ones aside from the Superman one. I haven't read them uh, but maybe once since they came out. But I would say the biggest difference is that with the Tangent Universe books, we're really kind of joining the universe in progress, but with the Stan Lee, the Just Imagine Stan Lee creating books. Um, each story was a standalone origin tale, and then he brought all the characters together for a JLA book, and then the final, uh, the final book, which was Just Imagine Stan Lee creating Crisis. So, it I, I guess in in one way you could kind of compare it to. Um, the Marvel movies, where you know you had your Iron Man origin, you had your Captain America origin, you had your uh, Hulk movie, and then they brought them all together for the big Avengers movie. Where here we're kind of joining the the tangent universe, like I said, already in progress, and we're getting flashbacks to origins and and or with the Joker that we're going to get into here in a little bit. We're, we're just joining her story as it goes on. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and I I think. I think you could see sort of a parallel, you know, simply because of the idea of, you know, the rewriting of these characters. But I think by having these very disparate writers, you get different takes on it. Yes. Uh, n- not saying anything negative about Stan Lee, but to be honest, his output in in the later half of his writing career just hasn't really measured up to what he did, you know, when he was starting out, you know, with, with Kirby and Ditko and all of that stuff uh, at the beginning it's not that it's bad but you know it's just diminishing returns unfortunately Mm -hmm. and i hate to i hate to say that about stanley who is you know uh, you know he he's basically what people think of when when they think of comics through the comics industry so it's it's not meant to be disparaging but compared to his early things the stuff that he's recent writtenly or written recently just haven't really stood up right stripperella folks that's what
0: way to bring the show down
1: yeah i'm I'm here that's what i'm here to do
0: but i think another difference uh between the two from a structure standpoint is that with the uh the stan lee books it was it was more of a one-to-one translation you know you had superman batman green lantern flash and those are all heroes in the dc universe and then they were heroes in stan lee's take, where with the Tangent universe, they're literally reimagining everything about the name. The, the Metal Men aren't robots. They are an army uh, group. Um, the Joker, as we're going to get into here in just a few minutes, isn't a psychotic supervillain. She's a uh, troublemaking good guy, or heroine. We had the, uh, was it Dr. Light, isn't a supervillain. It's a brand of cigarettes. So you never know what the name is going to be recreated as. Where in the Stanley stuff, you could pretty much guess if it was a, a hero in the DC universe, it was going to be a hero in, in the Just Imagine universe mm-hmm. as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, and it's it's a much. I, I don't want again not dissing on Stanley, but no, just a no, much no. simpler concept. You know, it's it's much easier yes. to just you know here's here's what I would do if I had this superhero. So. Right. This, this. it
0: it is a very similar concept in the premise, I guess. Mm -hmm.
1: And this time out, we've also got a couple of iTunes reviews, and I've got those here. The first one comes from Professor Allen, and this was dated July twenty second, twenty fourteen, and he says, and he gives us five stars, so that's awesome. He says the podcast, the title of the review is excellent. He says, Michael and Sean do a great job discussing the issues of this DC Comics event. Their knowledge, passion, and sense of humor make the show well worth listening to. Well, thank you, Professor Allen. Uh, Thank you. You know the the knowledge thing, I think, is uh, questionable. But passion and sense of humor, I think, you're right on the money. That's where we come from. Here, we're really
0: good at faking being intelligent. I think.
1: Yes, I, I think I think that's one of the things that comes across quite well. And you know that we're able to you know call stuff off Wikipedia as good as anyone else on the internet. So there you go. <laughs> uh, but we also have another iTunes review. This one is from someone I'm not certain who it is, but they go by Whispering Loon, and this came in on August 9th of 2004. Another five star review. So awesome it's uh, it's entitled an enjoyable peak and an unusual comic series uh, whispering Loon says this podcast should be filed under the quote-unquote why comic book podcast are so awesome category cool where else can you have a conversation even if you're just listening to it and not able to talk back as it plays about an interesting piece of dc comics history that only lasted a handful of issues never to be heard from again podcasts that's where and this podcast makes me happy that podcast exists because it means that I get to hear two likable and knowledgeable. There's that word again. Hosts talk about an obscure but very interesting publishing event from almost 20 years ago. Yeah, this is exactly why I love podcast. Thanks, guys. Well, thank wow. you, Whispering Loon. I, uh, you know that's one of the reasons I love podcasts as well because you can get all these little niche things. You know, yes, you can get these major. Big, uh, sort of corporate branded things like the Nerdist or these big podcasts like Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman that get the the big guests in. But the the wonderful thing about podcasting is should, anyone can do this. Yes. You can get these little niche podcasts about these little uh, stories that you know pretty much no one would talk about, and it can get people interested again. So I'm glad that there's people out there who are, who enjoy the tangent line and are enjoying us enjoying hearing us talk about it
0: definitely thank you very much which say whispering loon
1: whispering loon thank
0: you very much for the glowing review that's you know when you hear someone say that something a, a podcast you put together is why they enjoy
1: podcasts that that really means a lot Mm -hmm. we really appreciate it so if you guys would like to either email us the uh email address is tangent at greatcrypton.com or again you can log into itunes and leave a uh, review there of course you have to look for parallel lines the dc universe uh their dc comics tangent universe podcast uh we'd love to get itunes reviews it helps the show uh increase in uh popularity so please either way we'd we'd love to hear from you
2: yes
0: and just for a peek behind the curtain, which is a phrase I use way too much, but anyway, just for a, a, a peek behind the curtain, as I'll say it again, as we're recording this, we have released three episodes, and we have received three iTunes reviews. So if we can keep receiving at least one iTunes review per episode, I think that would be really awesome.
1: Oh, yes. And like I said, we really, really appreciate anything you guys write into us. It's... Like we've mentioned before, this podcasting thing is a lonely business. You sit in front of your computer with your notes in front of you, talking into a microphone, hoping that someone listens. And to get feedback is the most rewarding thing in podcasting. And we really, really appreciate any and everything that you guys send in.
0: Yes. Thank you very much to everyone who's written in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this episode, to transition, we're talking about the Joker, number one which had a cover date, like all the Tangent books we've talked about, of December 1997, and was released on October 1st of that year for $2.95. Our cover is by Matt Haley and Tom Simmons, and our story is titled, Laugh Till It Hurts. Credits are... Carl Kessel Words, Matt Haley Pencils, Tom Simmons Inks, Chris Eliopoulos Letters, Moose Bauman, Colors, Jameson Separations, Frank Berrios Assistant, Dana Curtin Associate, Eddie Braganza editor, special thanks to Dean Zachary, based on concepts by Dan Jurgens. In New Atlantis, we meet that merrymaking miscreant, that princess of the pun, the queen of comedy herself, the Joker. A vigilante by trade and a comedian at heart, the Joker causes trouble for police and criminal alike with Officer John Keel eventually getting involved in the hunt after crossing paths with the champion of comedy while arresting midget mobster Doll Man for smuggling weapons. In her underground hideout, the Joker does her own research into Officer Keel. But having found a hidden camera belonging to World's Finest magazine, Keel begins his own investigation there, interviewing reporter Lori Lamaris. Lori tells Keel her camera was stolen shortly after interviewing President Schwartz And she tells him all she knows about the Joker, in that she doesn't know much at all. In fact, a few blurry video clips and wild speculation about her origin are all anyone has been able to get so far. Upon leaving the magazine, Kiel and his partner have another encounter with the Joker, where the Maiden of Mayhem humiliates them and leaves them looking like fools. After returning to the station, they find there have been seven Joker sightings in the past 24 hours, including one at Higher Atlantis University, and decide to check it out. Unfortunately, Keel encounters some resistance from the students there, who look up to the Joker as an anti-establishment idol. Keel gets a report of a Joker sighting on the west side of the campus, where a rally is being conducted, led by a guy calling himself Brother Power and encouraging folks to follow the Joker's anarchic example. But, much to Brother Power's chagrin, the rally is broken up by the Joker herself, before leaping off. Peel follows, but is ambushed by the Joker and knocked unconscious. When he wakes, he finds himself in a dreamlike world on the day of the Cuban Missile Crisis. As the world around him collapses and becomes more and more surreal, it's revealed to be a virtual re- reality simulation by Madame Xanadu's VRcade. Zenadu tells him the room was booked anonymously, but Kiel is sure that the Joker was, was responsible. Suspecting there's a connection between the Joker and that day, Kiel tracks down the Joker at the Cuban Missile Crisis Survivors Memorial, a now-forgotten monument to that fateful day. When Kiel and the Joker finally come face to face, Kiel tells her his suspicions, that she's the daughter of two survivors of the explosion. She became embittered by watching them die slow, painful deaths, and seeing the city build over the memorial as if it never happened. Kiel further reveals that his father was the one who pushed the button that launched the first strike. He was only a soldier following orders, but still, Kiel isn't proud of it. And in the end, Kiel says, he and the Joker are both scarred, and both trying in their own way to make sure the mistakes of the past aren't repeated. The conversation then is interrupted by Big Barda, the doll man's main squeeze, seeking revenge on Keel and the Joker for her booze arrest. And Fighting McFeitenstein once again, copyright Andrew Leyland and Hey Kids Comics, ensues. The Joker easily escapes, and Keel gets out by the skin of his teeth, coming face-to-face with the Joker again, topside. As Barda comes out for one more attack, the Joker triggers a trapdoor in a nearby impulse soda machine, slamming Barda into the wall, and then ziplines away, leaving Keel with a better understanding of the Joker, but still no clues as to her identity. And on the last page, further questions are revealed to us, the reader, as we see the silhouetted form of the Joker standing near wigs and masks of Lori Lamaris, university student Mary Marvel, and Madame Xanadu, as well as the Joker herself.
3: wow
1: <laughs> this, <laughs> you know uh, I keep saying that each book keeps getting better and better and like like I said last episode I thought that trend was kind of broken uh, again not that I just the book but I just wasn't impressed with it as I had the ones prior to it but this definitely gets us back on track definitely. Kessel is a fantastic storyteller and Matt Haley although he's not a prolific artist does an amazing amazing job oh, here
0: yeah it, this book was just – I was trying to write down some overall comments about it, and the, the only – well, not the only word, but the word I kept writing down in my notes was fun, just mm-hmm. so much fun. But while it's fun, with an exclamation point, from start to finish, there's also some real character in here too and, and some emotion and weight and heart that I think was maybe missing – you know, just to compare it to another issue in the tangent line, was maybe missing from the Flash issue. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this issue hit a great medium between the serious world building of the Atom and the Metal Man and then the lighthearted silliness of the Flash. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is silliness in comedy, but it's used um, using those beats as one of many tools and not as a sledgehammer.
1: No, it it does it does use the comedy of the Joker to progress the storyline, and you know I, it does put a parallel between the Joker of the tenant universe and the DC universe that they were both sort of out there characters. But this Joker is definitely using her sort of deranged sense of wit as as a force for good, while the Joker in the DC universe, you know, would obviously use it for the opposite. Mm-hmm. But it's just. It's just amazing from start to finish.
0: Yeah. I think this one might struggle a bit more as an ongoing series, but I would read more books with this character and this creative team in a heartbeat.
1: Oh, yes. Especially if Kessel is behind her or Kessel, because he's he's just awesome. Definitely. But if you want to, we'll go ahead and take a little break here before we get into our uh, specific notes and uh, plug a couple of promos in here. Sound good? All right. Here we go.
3: Aside, it is i dark side i command you to listen to the who's who podcast uncover the powers and weaknesses of the super friends
2: so that i may destroy them aquaman and superman animal man and plastic man firestorm the nuclear man batman and hawkman 2d
3: man and hour man who are all these people man they're all part of the dc <laughs> who's who
2: Hey, hey, hey. What?
3: What
0: about that one guy?
3: What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mm -hmm. Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe.
1: Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part
3: of the Fire and Water Podcast. Hi, my name is Mike, and I like comic books. Okay, so what do you think about Matt Affleck being Batman? No, I said I like comic books. That's a movie, and I couldn't care less. Well, it's a comic book movie. Really? Did you go see the magazine movie? Or do you watch the television book? I like comic books. You know, those things make for paper? Especially the old ones? Whoa, those things. Are they CGC 9.8? No, you're missing the point. I like to actually read comic books, especially the old ones. I like them so much I even build a website to tell other people about them. Does it have any information about uh, Avengers 2? No, it has info about actual comic books. Lots of covers, creator credits, character appearance lists story synopsis notes, and so much more. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Where can I find it? It's at mikesamazingworld.com. Do I have to read anything? Reading makes my brain hurt. You can just look at the pictures if you want. Or you can listen to my podcast, where I talk about the history of DC Comics, especially the old ones. So I can listen to a comic book podcast? It's a podcast about comic books. You can find it at twotruefreaks.com. What's it called? Mike's Amazing World of DC History. History? You mean like before Twitter? Yes. The world actually did exist long before Twitter. My show is for comic book fans, especially the old ones. So check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the website, and listen to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast, for information and fun related to actual comic books, especially the old ones. (sighs) breaking
2: in shaping up checking
1: out on the and just like that we are back, so we're gonna go ahead and hop right into our general notes about this and uh, spe- actually more specific notes about the book uh do you want to start off with the cover? yeah, okay I really love the design of the Joker she's. First of all, I like Haley's uh, depiction of females in here. She's very attractive, but she doesn't feel unrealistic. She's got curves, but she feels in proportion. She is very, you know, I'll admit she's very sexy, but she's also completely covered. So there's really no skin showing except for her face. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we see at the end of the book, her face might even be a mask at that point. So the fact that she's just such an attractive looking character and that she's completely covered up should be a smack in the face to some writers who can't seem to figure out that you don't have to show people naked to make them look good. Right. I'm looking at you, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Thanks for ruining (laughs) Starfire sorry it's bitter <laughs> you've
0: really got your grumpy old man on
1: lately well uh, you know i'm i'm gonna start my get off my lawn cast with scott Gardner <laughs> later this year
0: uh yeah i really like the uh the design on the joker as well they don't really talk about it too much in the back matter but designing this costume had to be difficult in not making her look like harley quinn
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, I mean, Harley hadn't appeared in the DCU proper yet, but she was very popular on the animated cartoons, obviously. And in the end, I mean, it, it is a little reminiscent of Harley's original look, but I like the costume a lot. It's it's very colorful, it looks good in motion, and I can see this translating to live action or cosplay really well. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like you just pointed out, you know, she's completely covered, so it's not like a... Uh, well, we'll just keep on with Starfire. You know, it, it would be hard or difficult for a female comics fan to dress up in Starfire's current costume and spend an entire day at a con. Mm-hmm. So, and the the puffy sleeves on the jacket to hide the gadgets is genius.
1: Oh yes, I, I fully agree. You know, it's it's a really great design. That it, especially the 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 unisuit or the the unitard that she has wearing the the design of the checkerboard down the legs it's just Mm -hmm. it's really a great design i i I love love this character
0: and the uh the face paint is very nice too it's it's expressive but at the same time can be a good kind of emotionless when they need it to be
1: Mm -hmm. and and we'll get we'll get to points that here in the story so um page one we get again uh, a scene that's pretty reminiscent of the scene that we saw on Sea Devils with someone kicking an impulse soda machine because it's not working, and we'll get to see why the machines aren't working later on in the book.
0: Yep. Uh, the narration on this page also gives us our first confirmation that these are happening in present day, 1997. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's a minor point, but I bring it up because in the last panel, Kiel is wearing a pin on his collar that reads 20, which I can only assume is a 20-year pin uh, after having been on the job for 20 years. So if he joins Judd out of high school, the timeline would line up. So that's a
1: really great detail. Oh, yeah. The next thing I have on page two is, is just Haley. The one thing about uh, female characters, especially in the 90s, is that they don't look realistic. Mm-hmm. They don't look like female characters. They're either too top heavy and have their waist far too small that they can't have internal organs in there. Haley draws the Joker to look like a very fit female. She has curves. She has she has a stomach. Yes. It looks like she has internal organs in there. It doesn't look like her 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 you know abdomen has been compressed down to nothingness it's just beautiful artwork here and i can't you know if you don't have this comic in front of you if you can find it anywhere please do you will be so pleased at this because so often when female characters are drawn a attra- you know attractive female characters are drawn they're they're not drawn this well they're drawn to be caricatures mm-hmm. this looks like a fit realistic female character and I'm so glad that we get this in com- in this comic book you know because like I said in the 90s that wasn't very common unfortunately
0: yeah haley is great haley is a great artist mm-hmm. uh this would be a good place to need to point out that I love the tool or the weapon she uses they call it the punchline and it's a combination of a grappling hook and a baton and I, it, it's just great it looks like a giant yellow cartoon fist mm-hmm. complete with four fingers rather than five
1: mm-hmm. I, I i like you know and as we get to the next page on page three it kind of is very reminiscent of the sort of uh daredevil baton in some yes. ways and the way she uses it especially and that was my note on page three that uh fifth panel there the the white panel where she's just flipping around the uh the two officers, and you get this incredible sense of motion that that's very reminiscent of Gene Colan mm-hmm. uh, when he was drawing Daredevil. You'd see the the multiple versions of the character in here, and it's just it's just a beautiful representation of her sort of lithe ability to take out these, well, not really take out, but just have fun harass. with harass. That's a perfect word of harassing these two police officers, and it's never. It's never done to be malicious. It's just done to kind of annoy them and be fun. Troublemaker, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Before we go too far, did you catch the reference to Celeste Nelson on the front page, on the first page?
1: Let me see about that. No, I did not.
0: The uh, the right-hand side, those three panels, the top panel, the guy's looking at a copy of uh i guess it's world's finest and he makes a reference to
1: celeste nelson okay yeah i remembered you told me something about that in the uh like in the middleman issue that or either the middleman or the Atom one that celeste nelson would have uh a bit of importance in here and i've got a you know i'm, I'm glad you're keeping me uh apprised well, no, of
0: that this is this is uh the flash's mom
1: oh oh okay yes there you go <laughs> See see that's the thing. This thing is so overarching and there's so much yeah. so much going on that every once in a while it slips out of my already, you know, get off my lawn at mine.
0: <laughs> uh, uh page four, Keel's partner's last name is Moonrider, a reference to Mark Moonrider of Jack Kirby's Forever People. And there are a lot of Easter eggs in this issue and, and mm-hmm. a lot of them are Kirby and Fourth World related. I don't think we can point them all out just for the sake of time, but Kessel really did a, a number and pulled out all the stops in this issue.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that I was going to comment in this issue is there were just so many Easter eggs put in here that uh, by by about ha- by about two thirds of the way through the book, I was like, okay, we get it. Right. You're seeding this with a bunch of little <laughs> references to other DC books. I understand. Can we get on with the story? Did you think there were too many? I didn't think there were too many, but you know. Uh, well, maybe I did kind of think there were too many, but I don't think it was negative negatively affected the book. Oh, okay. I, I thought there were just you know, at, at times I was like you know, sort of the Monty Python "get on with it" oh, okay. thing. But you know, it, it's nice that they're actually putting the stuff in it. It gives you a kind of, in a way, it kind of makes me smile. You know that they're yeah. that they're making these things, and you know, again, it, it plays in with the sort of fun, lighthearted character that the Joker is supposed to be in this book. Uh, my next note wasn't until uh page 6 That's and it, it's more it's it's more about the references uh the the two goon mobs that doll man, who looks a lot like uh the uh, ventriloquist yeah. or the the dummy from the ventriloquist the two mo- the two um mob uh thugs are Titano and uh Gorilla Grodd yeah Gorilla Grodd so <laughs> Two gorilla characters as uh, beefy thugs here. I, I love that. Basically, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Um, on this page, <laughs> doll is smuggling weapons, pulse cannons, and grav bombs, which are the same weapons we saw used in Sea Devils last episode. Mm-hmm. But they're smuggling them in crates called "marked fish sauce." <laughs> so, my question is: Do you think that was a coincidence? Or a reference that makes less sense since Busick's pitch or, or Busick's story deviated from Dan Jurgens' original concept for that book.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's kind of uh, interesting that, that these weapons that were supposed to be designed to take out the Sea Devils would be <clears throat> transported in something that uh, is related to something that we cover seafood with. To uh, yeah. You know, take the ace out so you know i don't know if it's it's not necessarily ironic but it's uh coincidental uh, it's an interesting little uh, kind of nod to what went on in in that previous story
0: yeah my other note for this page was that the art was really nice and it's nice throughout the entire book uh, I, I really do like matt haley
1: mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm looking here at that uh, on page six that second panel is uh keels coming through the door the sort of checkerboard pattern on his uh Kind of on his on suit, it, it's really well shaded as well. The yes. inking work on there, and uh, who's the inker on this? Tom Simmons. Tom Simmons does a really good job on this. You know, it, it, the the artwork here is it's it's right up around there with mccone's art for the Middleman issue, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely,
1: yeah. Um, on the next page, on page seven. And i can't remember who was the person who was the big proponent of you know this not happening, but I guess in the uh, tangent universe the uh the sort of uh giant screens that they have on the outside of buildings actually do have speakers on them because <laughs> I, I know there was some some uh I want to say it was Mark Wade who said that it's a trope of uh, superhero stories that the That the big screen in Times Square or in New York City that uh, every supervillain uses to uh, promote his evil doings as Uh he's trying to take over the city doesn't have speakers. So whenever he's talking on it, people can't really hear what he's (laughs) – shouldn't be able to hear what he's saying. Yeah, So I guess in the Tangent universe, they installed speakers there. Well, the
0: technology is so much more advanced. Oh, yeah. There
1: you go. Um, Uh,
0: This page, though, has the ambush bug pest control, which made mm -hmm. me laugh out loud.
1: Oh, and there, there's so many other little things seated here. The Man of Sadadu, uh, the arcade, the which yeah. is awesome. And of course, you know, the, I also love the sort of weird techie designs for the uh, the people of, you know, the the bellhop with the sash
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the just the various cloaks and things. That's all really interesting, futuristic, but again, retro-futuristic design. Right. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the next page, I like the Joker Cave. I like that it's permeated with a lot of things that you might see in the Bat Cave, sort of analogs to that. You know, she's got her own little computer with a, yeah. uh, you know, with uh, information dealing with everything. Instead of having a uh, a giant dinosaur, she it looks like she's got a giant jack there. One of those. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. just it's just it's just it's just a fun little thing, you know, and also yeah. a little. Giant troll doll, I guess too. So there you go.
0: It's the '90s, and trolls were popular.
1: Of course they were.
0: I didn't pick this pick up on this the first time through, but we've got this big splash of the Joker's lair, and there are these three access tubes, and the one that she's exiting clearly has the initials W.F. on it.
1: Ah. And
0: given what we learn at the end, I can only assume that's for World's Finest. And that mm-hmm. the other two tubes would go to the university and then Madam Zandu's.
1: You know, and, and you can't really tell because the uh the panel sort of covers or the the speech balloons kind of cover the other right. tubes. But yeah, that's I didn't even notice that. That's a good catch there. But yeah, now that knowing that uh the Joker essentially was these three characters, that that completely makes sense. That's awesome.
0: But then we also see what is probably a uh, a training area. There's a workshop area over here on the the right um, a, and then over on the far left, what looks to be a makeup table, you know which is something else that's more meaningful once you've read the whole issue
1: Mhm but yes. Yeah. It's, it's 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 a good job of seeing things. the the art is a little bit but you're looking from it from above right. so it's not as as detailed as before but it, I love that they're all a little shaded in their own little uh, their light colors it's it's great it's really really good here um, the next note I have is on page nine so uh, flipper dipper uh, the newsboy Legion is now the publisher of world's finest which I guess i'm okay with because i you know really have no connection here or there for flipper dipper but i am glad that in this universe at least snapper car was killed by a freak lightning bolt which you've got to assume was probably um oh uh, what's his name johnny light oh uh, what's his name from the johnny thunder. Johnny, thunder johnny lightning and his <laughs> thunderbolt so the fact that snapper car was killed in this universe should make rob kelly happy because I know Rob Kelly just loves Snapper Car. in a way that he doesn't. in any Right. Way
0: <laughs> but at the same time, Rob Kelly does not like the composite Superman.
1: Oh, so, well, yeah, well. you.
0: What's that tell you?
1: Sometimes people's judgment can be <laughs>
0: Uh We have some nice detail on this page, too. Uh, in the upper left corner, we see... Pictures of the first and third Adams, and uh, a little one of Captain Comet and some other heroes. We can't really make out decorating the interior of the world's finest offices. Oh yeah. And as, as someone who is a fan of Superman, I liked the nod to Perry White as one of the uh, uh, on one of the office doors in the same panel where they're talking about uh, the Daily Planet.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see that. You see Laurie's door, and the door behind that is Perry. Okay. Yeah, that is nice. I like that. I, I and again, you know, relating back to the Metalman issue, Laurie Lamaris is a character that we met interviewing the president. So yep. now we now we get the seating that the Joker essentially was interviewing President Schwartz. So the you know the
0: kind of cast that into an entirely different light it, when you go back to it.
1: Oh exactly and again it's it's great that it's you know building and building upon this universe. You don't have to know anything about the Metal Man to read and enjoy this issue, but if you had read the Metal Man and you put that together with this, it makes it just that more enjoyable. So this is this is just great.
0: Page 10, you know, we both have lots of good things to say about Matt Haley, but at the bottom of this page, Lori looks kind of weird.
1: Yeah, her face looks a bit too full you know a, a, you know the, on previous uh, on previous uh pages she's looked a bit more slender uh, and her her mouth looks kind of weird uh, it looks like she's trying to blow an open mouth kiss it's just odd the less said about it probably the better probably uh
0: page 11 my note for this page other than the fact that I loved the various origins for the Joker is to note the last thing Lori says on this page. Um, she comments about Keel not having a sense of humor, mm-hmm. which I will refer back to later on in the episode.
1: Oh, yes. I like the fact that here uh, in this first panel, it looks like. You know, they say that she might have been a manifestation of those who died during the Cuban, miss- Cuban Missile Crisis, uh-huh. and that kind of ties back to the Green Lantern story because the yes. energy that's bringing her back from the grave does kind of uh, equate to the energy that the Green Lantern used to bring back Captain Comet and you know uh, the character of Oh uh, King Faraday back from the grave. So yeah, I, I like the sort of connection there. Right.
0: And the um, other the just- for the folks that don't have the books, the other references, the other uh, possibilities they give for her origin are that she is a uh, wacky space alien trapped on Earth, and that she uses the Joker face to uh, disguise her real face, which, um, or she uses the human face to disguise her real face. And then on the third hand, uh, that her parents were killed and she swore revenge, just as a playing card blew in through the window.
1: See, I, I love that sort of goofy sense of humor that's yeah. obviously, you know, poking fun of the whole Batman origin. So that's that's just eight. <laughs> My next page is again, we get these great little Easter egg references here. Not only on this page, do we get a reference to Sergeant Rock as the captain of the uh, New Atlantis police force, but we also get a reference to Captain Carrot. Mm-hmm. Now yes granted it's not the captain carrot from captain carrot and the zoo crew but the fact that they're putting this little easter egg in here just makes me smile it really does yep
0: and we also have wilson terminators Mm -hmm. slade wilson deathstroke yes and there is green arrow soda and big bear big bear is another member of the forever people jack kirby's forever people
1: there we go yeah oh man (laughs) Just so many fun little Easter eggs here. It's maybe I'll have to re you know maybe I have to make a sort of recant my statement about the the amount of Easter eggs because it it's more fun.
0: I I can kind of see what you were getting at earlier, though. I mean, it it does at a certain point maybe start to overwhelm the story a little bit if you get too many of them. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: at the same time, they're just winks and nods for the fans. So that's true. Uh, Moving on to page fifteen. They've got a lot of pictures of the Joker for as elusive as they make her out to be.
1: Well, you've got to kind of think that maybe she's just, you know, again, goofing with the people. Could you know, she, yeah. she, she knows where the security cameras are and she goes out around, you know, bugging for the cameras in yeah. order to sort of, again, playfully uh, harass the uh, police officers.
0: Yeah, I like that so, idea. There you go. And what is with Kiel's partner? Every time we see him, he's not doing police work. He's reading a book. Um I thought that was going to go end up somewhere but it never really did.
1: You know, I didn't really I didn't really take in, that into account. Maybe he's just a a big fan of uh, World's Finest. who knows. <laughs> Could be.
0: Uh, well, as he said on the first page, it's got great graphics of Celeste Nelson, if
1: you know what he means. <laughs> yes, and I think he's thinking of uh, two great graphics about her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Um, my next notes on page 16, the next page, I like that we get more little Easter eggs down here. We get the seating of uh, the doll that will eventually be tossed to Major Daly in the Sea uh, Devils issue that we covered mm-hmm. last time. We get an image of that. It's It's got a sort of... John Constantine look as well, a
0: little bit, yeah, like it's not quite finished yet,
1: yeah, but I like that, um,
0: and she's wearing bunny slippers.
1: <laughs> that's always awesome,
0: but this is this is also a really sad page because we we briefly see a guy that's filling the soda machine and it talks about the Miami Sunburn, which is the name given to people who were caught in the Cuban missile exchange, and their their skin is really badly burnt and scarred and it's sad, but it's part of why this book is so good. Because they have these sobering moments in the midst of all the fun and silliness. Yet it still all flows together
1: nicely. Yeah, it doesn't detract from the story. It's just a little interlude here to sort of, you know, ground you in the reality of this tragedy that happened amidst all this fun that's going on in the book. So it's it's a nice little interlude here right. that that again doesn't break things up.
0: Page um, seventeen, we we get a very brief appearance from JJ Daly from the Sea Devils issue.
1: Mm-hmm, as, as they,
0: they misspell their name, but Well... that's all
1: right. The uh, comics, I guess. Yeah. Um, I I like the introduction of both Mary Marvel on uh well not the introduction but Mary Marvel and uh, let's see oh what is her name Harley Quinn Harley Quinn mm-hmm. yes here uh here on this page uh however harley in this book looks a bit more like rampage from the uh, superman I, books at the time
0: i thought that too especially in the uh the top right panel there because her
1: skin is very uh orange hued mm-hmm. with the coloring and she's also she's also got that sort of rampage type uh bodybuilder mm-hmm. very you know and uh, she does have uh, the sort of disproportionate uh Chest here, her she does have very ample bosoms, so yes. let's just put that out there. But that was also a trope of uh, rampage from the Superman books as well, so not a not a big deal there.
0: I was glad they threw in a name check to Harley Quinn though, because you know clearly there there is a lot of Harley Quinn influence in the Joker.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know again, seeing that little Easter egg here, you know works in a Joker book, so I, I, that's one thing that I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with.
0: And the last thing that uh, – the last thing to note here is that Mary tells Harley Quinn uh, – she says she isn't very funny. And like Lori a few pages back, the last thing we see her say is to comment on someone's humor.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, you know, seeding the idea that all, all of these characters are played by the same person. So yeah. that, that humor is a part of her, her reason for being.
0: Yeah, and it, but it's very subtle.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and and again, <laughs> Carl Kessel. Yeah, he's an amazing. They they got amazing writers to do this, and you know it just it, it works so well here, especially here on page page nineteen, a character that I thought no one would ever reference <laughs> ever in a comic, in, in in any point in time ever again. Brother, power the geek. Yep. <laughs> and you know, I guess you know you kind of had to expect that this was going to happen because, well, New Atlantis is permeated by hippies and who's a bigger hippie than Brother Power the Geek? So there you go.
0: It it does, however, lead to my favorite moment in the book over on page 20 where he's going on about how they'll never never blindly follow leaders again and then he sees the Joker and he says, you're our leader, just tell us what to do and we'll do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Love it. Uh, well, and it's perfect, and also because those two panels there that are pretty – I don't know if they're quite <laughs> statted, but it's just a panel of the Joker, very deadpan, uh-huh. looking at him, and then saying, uh, you're joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's her basically tearing down the whole groupthink mentality that these people supposedly are rallying against. You know, the man is keeping us down. We've got to – overthrow these people who are oppressing us and everything and right. we don't follow anyone oh the joker's here will completely follow you and do anything you want yeah. oh it, 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 it's so simply in just one page tears down the whole group thing mentality and i just love it yeah. the artwork and the story just perfectly perfectly sell that and and the look on brother power on this on uh, this final panel is like oh it's it's his shaggy look Every, it's just everyone
0: he even says zoinks that's a good that's a good call <laughs> uh, yeah everyone everyone's testing us the joker's testing us we have to prove ourselves
1: oh lord it's it's so brilliant
0: over on page 22 in panel 3 we see four kids that were at the rally and i thought they looked familiar so i did a little digging around and in early 1997, DC published a one-shot Elseworlds titled Titans Scissor Paper Stone, and it was a story set in the future and done kind of in a uh, pseudo-manga style, mm-hmm. and these four are the four characters from that book.
1: I never would have caught that.
0: And that book was inked by Tom Simmons, who inked this book, so hmm. just a little cameo.
1: See that's interesting because they don't look really all that out of place for this futuristic world. Right. You know their their costumes are, you know, the, are appropriate for the title. But the fact that they're brought out of a you know sort of one shot Teen Titans comic and put in this universe is a nice little Easter egg that you know n- necessarily doesn't tie in with the tangent idea or philosophy. But it's a nice Easter egg for those of those people who have read it. So that's yeah. cool. My notice on page 23 is, you know, after Keel gets knocked out by the Joker, I really like the black and white design here on this page. Mm-hmm. That's some really great art. And the, again, the Joker's costume just works for this because you've got most of her uniform being uh, black, except for the checkerboards down her leg and the sort of uh, piping down her very puffy sleeves. You know, it, it's, it, it works. Uh, the aesthetic here works You know, with her black and being in black and white. In fact, you know, I could I could see if they wanted to do an entire black and white issue. You know, the Joker would be the character that I think it would work best with. Mm -hmm.
0: From an artistic standpoint, I'm not sure so much with the writing. (laughs) Yeah, that character lends itself to lends herself to it, but
1: yeah, to to a specific you know you know good or evil, right or wrong type thing. Yeah,
0: but you're right. The, The the costume does work very well in that style. And kind of on a similar art note, carrying on over to 24 through, I guess, 26, I I wish they would have gone just a little farther with the different style of coloring or, or texture, just to help drive home the point that this is not reality. But in the grand scheme of things, that's a very, very minor, minor gripe.
1: Yeah, I think... Because I know they've talked about this over at Fire and Water. A lot of times when they do flashbacks or uh, alternate reality stories, the uh, panel pages get rounded corners. So if they would have done something subtle like that mm-hmm. in this book, that that probably could have, uh, you know, paved the way that you would have believed that this is something other than reality. But right. you know, again, that's just a minor nitpick. It's it's a really great uh, way of. Kind of getting Keel to realize, you know, what he's done, and sort of, ha- and, you know, have him face his sort of demons inside. Yeah, but I, yeah, that's. I, mm, Go ahead.
0: I guess I'm going to say problem, but I, I don't, I think problem is too strong of a word. But my problem with this scene is I don't know what the Joker's end game was with putting him through this scenario, as it seems different than than what she'd been doing to this point
1: Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like you know when she found out that keel was the person you know when she was in her joker cave she found out that keel was related to this person why is she making him relive all this is he has he done something wrong or is she just trying to allow him to get over his his feelings that he has some sort of connection to this that he has you know uh, issues because of this it, 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 her end game you're right her end game isn't very clearly defined here so that that is kind of a minor nitpick here
0: and if and if it was her trying to force him to get over any hang-ups he might have i think that kind of contradicts their interaction later in the issue where it seems that she still has kind of hang-ups of her own Mm. Maybe that's the irony of it, now that I think about it.
1: Ah, oh, very good.
0: Page 28, again, we, we know to bring it home one more time, the last thing Xanadu says to Kiel is to comment on his poor sense of humor. Every time we see one of the Joker's identities, the last thing she says is to make a comment about someone's lack of humor. and that There's just all these little clues throughout the book that lead to that last page revelation. It's very subtle, but it's there, and it really speaks to
1: how strongly written this issue is. Mm-hmm. I, I fully agree with it, and the the reveal at the at the end of the book. You know, I'll, I'll make a comment about that, but it it is great now that once you've read it and you can go back and see all those little beats that they put in there. It makes the story all the more engaging. Mm-hmm.
0: Although, also on page twenty eight, she talks to someone called Alfred. Mm-hmm. Which is a question mark that's never really revealed you know it's never really revealed who she's speaking to if this is the joker
1: yeah well because we did have a reference in the uh, green lantern story to an alfred pennyworth right except he was a uh, publisher of magazines so and since the communication is you know you know digital and we see alfred's reply as sort of in this blue staticky field It could be related that Alfred might not necessarily be an entity but might be sort of on the lines of the uh, Marvel movies Jarvis as sort of a computer AI thing. So it might not be necessarily a person. Right. Take that as you will. Uh,
0: Page 29. I'm reluctantly willing to overlook it for the sake of story, but I question if a memorial like this would really be buried and built over. Um, It's difficult to relate this to anything that's happened in our lifetimes, but obviously, you know, nine eleven is still very fresh in our minds. But were something like the Cuban Missile Crisis to happen in the real world, it would be a lot worse. And we're we're talking about entire states and all of Cuba, like twenty million people just wiped out of existence, and it's hard to believe that a memorial to that would be buried within three yeah. and a half decades.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is. That is kind of that is definitely stretching credulity because, you know, memorials to to, to wars and fallen soldiers. You know, here in Oklahoma City, we have the uh, the Murrah Building uh, Memorial, right? And it's been just uh, fifteen years, and that thing is, you know, even even now is uh, growing and getting more people coming to it. And we have uh, <clears throat> buildings dedicated to the timeline of that. So the fact that in thirty five years. It would be forgotten especially something this devastating is kind of does kind of uh, stretch credulity mm-hmm.
0: and i just noticed as he's running down the stairs he passes by what looks like a manhole that says toxic waste <laughs> maybe that's why they closed it down <laughs> because there's a toxic waste dump zone right in the center of it
1: that's poor city planning. I'd have to admit, <laughs> it's very
0: poor city planning.
1: <laughs> you know, you would think you'd want to dump your tos- toxic waste. You know, uh, I don't know, out in the ocean, maybe where it could mutate some sea life.
0: Uh, pages thirty and thirty-one. If I have one complaint about the story, because the other stuff I've said, it's it's kind of minor, niggling points that I'm willing to overlook. But if I have one complaint about the story, it's that Kiel comes to this conclusion way too fast. And from the Joker's reaction, it seems he hit the nail pretty much on the head regarding to her basic history. Um, throughout the entire issue, she's, she's always moving. She's very expressive with her body, you know, her body language. And even into panel two, she's playful and kind of stretching out. But when he gets into what he suspects, she stops. Her face gets sad, and, and on the next page, we see she's got a tear. So if he didn't hit it on the head, he got very, very close. But I think at the same time, I think this particular point is victim to the fact that we've only got, you know, 38 pages to tell the story. Had this been a mini series or even an ongoing, it could have played out much more uh, naturally, and, and we could have seen him researching and maybe some clues dropped along the way. So, it's 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 difficult to hold it against Kessel, but it really is the only significant complaint that I have about the whole
2: issue.
1: Yeah, I can see that there isn't really there isn't really much backstory brought in about keel whether he had been investigating the joker or whether right. the police force had been looking into the joker disturbances all that much you know it could have been that uh, keel was assigned to her and he does have some sort of you know a file on her that he's been reviewing and he suddenly just put all the pieces together here but it, yes it does seem a bit rushed so i'll give you that um, my note on page 31 is that uh Kiel was the son of the man who started the nuclear strike on Cuba but does it necessarily doesn't necessarily work for you that the sins of the father should be brought forth on the on the son and and plus uh, should he really feel responsible cuz I thought that the atom was supposed to take out all the rest of the nuclear missiles after the initial one was launched it was only those initial strike that took out all that so
0: I think it doesn't make sense that he should feel responsible, but I can see why he
1: would. In a comic book sense, I guess it does kind of, you know, it it, it does kind of give a reason for you know this character being, you know, and it does tie it back to the major incident that right. the tangent universe is sort of, you know, built out around. So, I mean, yeah, I guess so.
0: Like he says, he was just a soldier following orders, which means. That Keel shouldn't feel responsible, but you know, at the same time, from his point of view, his father was the one that pushed the button. So mm-hmm. I can see where there might be some lingering guilt that it was his father that you know did the actual action. Oh yeah, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But I, I I love this this uh, the artwork on this page. It's just a beautiful splash of both their faces and the missiles coming down and and the, the mushroom cloud. It's just, a beautiful piece of art
1: mm-hmm. and and i like the way how the the half of the joker's face is kind of uh, the right half is kind of silhouetted the mushroom crown mm-hmm. and the hair to the other side sort of makes the other part of the cloud it's, yeah. it's really good art design definitely and you know the throughout all these uh these few pages where the joker and keel have encountered themselves down at the bottom of this uh you know misused memorial it's all sort of lit in that sort of matrixy green lighting mm-hmm. that gives it that sort of weird incandescent irradiated glow so it's it's the, the contrast between the orange and white explosion of the nuclear ba- blast compared to the sort of greenish glow of the uh the, the characters down here is just magnificent artwork Next note's um, not until thirty seven. Okay, you know all I all I have to say is, you know, if you're gonna have a girl fight, you know, <laughs> this these are the two girls I'd love to see doing it. You know, first of all, Barta is ridiculous, and she's not she's not like the Barta that you know, and she no. is sort of a Barbie character. In fact, the Joker actually makes fun of her by calling her Barbie. But I, I just love a good girl fight, and this is just fun. And again. The, on page 33 of that top panel she pulls out a giant powder puff and <laughs> punches Sparta in the face and yells makeup and the, I don't know if you may remember this I vaguely remember this from my youth this was kind of a uh, a joke that they'd use on the old Milton Burl show where someone would come by and slap someone in the face with a giant powder puff and yell makeup so I, I love that <laughs> reference so Milton Burl actually happened in the Tangent Universe so that's awesome Uncle Melty.
0: Gotta say, didn't expect the Miltonboro reference when we started recording today.
1: So nope. Well, there you go. I'm I'm here to bring the obscurity.
0: One um, thing, I, one thing I I kind of wanted to point out, and there wasn't really any good place to do it, but the lettering on the issue, all of the Joker balloons have a thick border which is half red and half black, mm-hmm. which I really liked. Not liked to help set those apart.
1: Yeah, uh, it and yeah, the thing is, it's not. The, the the great thing about it is you know once you go back through the book and you know the ending it's not around the characters' uh, voices except when she is in the Joker costume right so whenever she's Laurie Lamaris or Mary Marvel or Madame Xanadu it's all just regular text blooms. do you so, think
0: I, that's an indication that she's using some sort of vocal modulation th- as the Joker
1: I think it might be I think that's a that's kind of a visual your know, visual reference to let you know that you know something's going differently with their voice. So yeah, that's a good call there.
0: Page thirty-seven, Keel calls the Joker their friendly neighborhood femme farcical,
1: which I liked. <laughs> and, yes, well, the, and also there were references earlier here where the uh, the Joker said, you know, she was bitten by a.
0: What? Oh the radioactive joy buzzer, Troy buzzer yeah. and
1: with great power become <laughs> becomes great responsibility. Yeah. So yeah, that's you know, it's again, it's a serious issue dealing with, you know, the tragedy of nuclear war, but it's you know, it's paralleled with so many little fun gags mm-hmm. that, that you would expect from from a Joker story. Yeah. You know, e- even even those Joker stories from you know the nineteen seventies where the Joker had his own book. Except this time out in the tangent universe the joker is you know a tricksterish hero so it's great yeah
0: so at the end of the issue here uh keel talks to the joker about getting his gun back which she had stolen early in the issue and uh she says he'll uh, she'll have a messenger drop by the squad room in a few hours and he uh, makes a crack about delivering it personally and i like to think that at this point in the story keel has kind of changed his opinion on the Joker, and he wouldn't actually bring her in. You know, he might not be able to officially condone her vigilante actions, but he knows that she's ultimately a force for good, and and really, aside from some assault and battery, she really didn't do anything illegal. So, a lot like Commissioner Gordon and Batman in the DCU proper, I think he's going to be willing to turn a blind eye to her activities, even if it's only
2: unofficially.
1: Well, and I think uh, I think the parallel between uh, Commissioner Gordon and Batman is an apt one. I think this is essentially, you know, in the tangent universe, this is those two characters here. It's Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's a police official and a renegade uh, crime fighter. You know, it just happens that it's kind of reversed here. It's the Joker is the renegade crime fighter. So it's it's that's a very apt description. Um, on page thirty-eight, you know, I just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a great reveal. You know, the Joker was not only Laurie Lamaris, but she is Mary Marvel. She was Madame Xanadu. She was Kaiser Soze. It's just—it's <laughs> it, just amazing the the number of characters that she was in this book, and you know, many others. I'm mm-hmm. sure, but you know, the the fact that it ends on on a laugh on on Keel laughing. Yeah, and and not the sort of laughing that you'd see at the end of the Killing Joke because that go, that book can go die in a fire. Yeah. But no, this is this was just a great, great book.
0: Yeah, like I said at the very beginning, it it really toes the line between the serious world building of of the Atom and the the lighter comedy of the Flash. It, mm. Maybe not a perfect comic, but a darn good one.
1: Definitely. So there we, you know, once again
0: the conversation stops.
1: Well, because we are flabbergasted and we're flabbergasted by how amazing these comics have been. You know, I, you know, with the with the Sea Devils aside, everything that I've read here has been more enjoyable than a lot of the stuff that I'm reading currently. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how much. how
0: much new books are you reading right
1: now? Right now, well, actually, um, right now, uh, since All-Star Western finished up, right now I'm only reading Walking Dead. Uh, I might think about picking up the new uh, Jeff Johns, pen Superman. I read the first issue, 32, and I think 33 might be out. Um, other than that, I'm not really much of anything. Uh, surprisingly, the only other new thing that I'm picking up is an Archie comic. Uh, really? the the uh, Yes, uh I'm reading Afterlife with Archie. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, I, to be honest, that's actually more engaging to me than The Walking Dead surprisingly. So, uh if if you're interested, you know, I never thought that I would be interested in reading Archie comics, but the the stories that they're doing here are are pretty phenomenal. So, yeah, I'm I'm not really reading all that much new stuff, but I'm, I'm glad I'm getting to read this old stuff because it is it is just so much so much fun. Definitely. But I think that is going to unless you've got anything else, I think that's going to wrap it up for this time out. I'm good. OK, so next time out, we're going to be taking a look at a story that I think is going to tie up a few big things. We're going to be covering Nightwing, aren't we? Oh,
0: actually, I just remembered. Yes. Before we move on to what what's next. This is the first issue that is in volume two. Of the tangent trade paperbacks,
1: okay. So, so, so if you're reading through the paperbacks, the, the you have to get volume two right. now to follow along with us. So, yeah, uh, unless you pick up the actual issues, which uh, you know I think you can find for relatively decent prices around, you know, go get the trade paperbacks. But next time out, it's it's a look into the uh, shadowy organization that's been seeded throughout the. Uh, rest of this comic book series we're going to be taking a look at nightwing number one cool so uh yes it's not uh dick grayson it's a shadowy government organization so there you go written by oh yes john ostrander Mm -hmm. and Jan Mm Dersama, the artist. So some good stuff will be coming there here the uh, next time on Parallel Lines. So hopefully you will be coming back to listen to us talk about it and uh, hopefully you'll be writing in as well. And uh, we will catch you next time on another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Bye, everyone.
2: See ya.
0: just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast,
1: hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes.
0: It can also be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one all reviews help more people to find out about the show
1: the show is also on facebook where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted plus images plot elements and general discussion about these books can be found there as well want
0: to send feedback about the episode well then you can email us at tangent at greatcrypton.com. all feedback is warmly welcomed and we will definitely read your emails on the show
1: When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. Plus, he hosts a blog about the Man of Steel's creators, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, called Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers," both of which you can find over at greatcrypton.com.
0: And Sean hosts a Green Lantern podcast, focusing on Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, called Just One of the Guys. He's also a guest host on Walking Dead Wednesdays, a Walking Dead podcast, and Who True Freaks, a Doctor Who podcast. And all of these shows can be found over at
1: 2TrueFreaks.com. Speaking of 2 True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the 2 True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters.
0: Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent
1: Universe, you only know the names.
0: I just remembered when you said Jandercima. That I was gonna bring up, and I wish I would have, because with all our talk about the Easter eggs, they they there was one page in there where they referenced several creators.
1: Oh yeah, oh rather yeah, than
0: just the the uh, comic characters. They referenced. Uh, oh yeah, it was Jurgens Park, Haley Heights, and Darsima Circle.
1: Yes, that was in the. Uh... I remember. I didn't take notes for that. Was that in what they were talking about? The it was
0: on page fifteen, the same page where they were they were in the the the, uh, police station looking at the video footage from the Joker. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that that page, I think I was just you know too stunned by the fact that they mentioned you know Captain Carrot.